the word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key, a key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world, those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. I don't normally expect or request my guests to come with something to the interview, but I'm interviewing uh, Naveen Jain. He is the founder and CEO of Viome and I'm on the board of XPRIZE and a million other things to include Moon Express. Uh, and you're going to love his personality. But Naveen, I've, in my prep, we talked about this off air. You have a fantastic energy. There is an inspiration about you. And also there's this, look, you're from India. You're not from Pennsylvania, but there's this almost like, like the rust belt they'll talk about, right? There's this grittiness to you and this sort of let's cut through to what really matters, whether it's in talking about the successes of your three kids or your rearing in India. Uh, and I think that that is something that separates you in what has become a very crowded group of billionaires out there um, and the way in which people think about it. And so for anybody, <laughs> you can't see this, but uh, Naveen's just face when I said that, you know, he cringed, which actually I think matches what I what I've grown to know about you in, in prepping for our discussion. But talk about that. That spark, because I don't think that that spark comes with money at all. And I've heard you talk about that. And so we don't have to. This is not about that label. But where does that spark come from? And at what point in our lives do you think that we can like recognize it? Not that it's a moment, but that, gosh, for whatever reason, it's not always cloudy in my world. Like I see things a little bit differently. Hope is always a part of my go-to attitude. Yeah. So first of all, the one thing I know is when you wake up in the morning and you don't jump out of the bed, all I know is whatever you're working on is not your calling. You should quit whatever you're doing that day and find something that when you wake up in the morning, you jump out of the bed because you are so obsessed about solving whatever that problem is. And I feel the passion that people talk about having a passion. Passion is for hobbies. Passion is for losers. The winners and the entrepreneurs have true obsession. When they go to sleep, they want to solve that problem. And when they wake up in the morning, they want to actually jump out and solve that problem. And the question you're asking me, how do you actually find out what you are truly obsessed about? And there are two things I have found in my life very practically. Ask yourself a simple question. What are you willing to die for and then live for it? Right? Or the other way around, You ask yourself, if I had everything in my life that I wanted, I have money that I wanted, I have my family, the loving family, the children, they're doing everything I want, what would I do? And if you do that today, you will get everything that you want in life. So go backward about what makes you tick. What is it that makes, you know, what's your calling? What's your North Star? What is your purpose in life that you are willing to die for, right? What is that that moves you along? And people say, look, I'm looking for that purpose. No, 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 no. You're not looking for the purpose. You're not looking inside. You're looking outside. It's already within. It's within. And, you know, very interesting thing is in our Western society, we are taught about having goals. We are taught about, 
you know, do things that will make you happy. At least there is something or someone who is going to make you happy. There is always something or someone. And I always realize that if the minute you find there is someone or something that makes you happy, what you have done is given the remote control of your happiness to someone else and they get to decide when you're happy and when you are unhappy. When you find the happiness that's inside you, you could be sitting in a dark corner and you would be still be happy. Or when you are unhappy inside you, you could be in heaven and still be unhappy, right? So my point is, when someone say the heaven is a place on earth, I would tell you that happiness is a place inside you. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, so let's talk, and maybe this is a, a Western sort of belief or an approach, is this being driven by anxiety, being driven by fear. We hear all kinds of successful people in popular culture, athletes talk about that. Um, and I think the flip side of that, the other side of the coin is and how we understand celebrating those benchmarks in our lives, those successes. And so what's your, what's your relationship with success when it comes to the acknowledgement that your efforts have achieved, and I'm not going to use the word goal, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. right? But it's achieved whatever that objective is. How do you understand it? And what's your relationship with success and how has it changed? Yeah. So one of the things is success is not a destination. Success is a journey. So point is you never achieve something, you go towards achieving something. So when you have a North Star, that's an audacious goal, you're lucky in your lifetime you get closer to it. Because what you do is you stand on the giant's shoulder and you continue to push the baton forward and you hand it off to the next generation to take that thing forward, right? It is when you're looking off the problems like let's make illness optional. It's not a thing that you do and say, I am achieved my goal. This is a thing that's going to take decades to do that, right? And that means you're going to push the boundaries forward and someone else is going to come in and take it from you and actually solve those problems. If you're lucky enough to solve it yourself, that is, a, you know, what I would call a life of an achievement of a great goal, right? But in general, I, you never have to worry about are you the person who solves the problem? You always, to me, is about are you pushing the ball forward? Are you actually making the things towards the goal you want to achieve? And even if you don't achieve the goal, have you actually moved the field forward enough for someone else to stand on your shoulder and take it forward? And if you happen to take it all the way to the end goal, you know, I would say amen to that. <laughs> so then how do you think about failure? What, what role does failure play in either learning a lesson mm -hmm and or providing information and intelligence sure. to pivot and make a different choice. So the thing is, failure only happens when you give up. Everything else is you have an idea. Your idea may or may not work. And every idea that does not work is simply a stepping stone to a different idea or a bigger idea, right? So my point is the ideas are the ones that succeed or fail. You don't succeed or fail. You only fail when you give up. Everything else is simply a pivot, right? So you're constantly adapting along and entrepreneurs fail the day they say, I give up. Until they say that I give up, they haven't failed. And your success of is not measured by goals, it's measured by the number of people whose lives you have improved along the way. 
So you measure your success not by the amount of money you have in the bank. You simply count the lives that you have improved, and that's the measure of success you can take it to the bank. And all I know is the best way to know when you have achieved success is humility. The day you become humble is the day you have become successful. Because if you still have iota of arrogance left in you, that means you're still trying to prove something to yourself or someone else. The day you start proving is the day you have become successful, right? That's the reason I believe our past president was never successful because he still wanted to prove to everybody how smart he was, right? <laughs> and he still <laughs> have to prove something. You're not smart. If you tell someone, you know how smart I am, you're not that smart. <laughs> yeah, the, the prove a game is a zero-sum game. <laughs> I'd love to touch on this, and we don't have to go into uh, yeah. terrible detail about it, but I think it's very yeah. powerful. When you talked yeah. about, in an interview, you, you talked about your father, and you talked about yeah. um, decisions that he made to be honorable yeah. in, in, let's say, a, a less than honorable yeah. environment professionally in, in India and kind of what that meant for sure. your family, all the way to sort of getting pushed all the way down the ranks to villages where there were no buildings. And what do you think the lasting lesson was for you? Because sometimes I wonder, even when I look at my own children, that they, they're childlike, right? So they just sort of take for granted whatever's in front of them, whether it's the Mm -hmm. meal that they have or the clothes that they get or a gift or an opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's just what they know. So at what point did that light turn on for you that not only I would imagine gave you some pride in, in your mm-hmm. father in that regard, mm-hmm. but that it, it had an active role in your conscience? Uh, first of all, great question, because I think the interesting thing about children are the children want to make their uh, parents proud. And this really amazing thing is that your job as a parent is never to tell them what to do. Your job as a parent becomes to show them what to do. Right. And it's really interesting difference. So when our kids were young, and as you know, I talk about our children all the time because I'm so proud of what they have done. Right. So our oldest is running onto his third uh, company that is solving some audacious problems around affordable housing. Our daughter who's graduated from Stanford, Stanford Mayfield Fellow, Stanford STEM Fellow, and started a women's health company to actually help the women get better because, you know, her whole point was even on the clinical studies, women are never enrolled. They were never enrolled until, you know, in the last couple of decades because they were told, well, they have too many external factors. They have period. They have this. It's just hard to control. Let's just only use man for studies, right? And it's just amazing to see how she t- took on that problem. Our, you know, our youngest one is now a graduate from Stanford, Schwarzman Scholar, and doing a fintech company solving the problem of, uh, you know, mortgages. How do we get the people to actually make the home ownership a pleasant experience, right? Uh, and, you know, so my point I want to make is that our children, when they were young, I did my first company. It was wildly successful in financial terms beyond any month's dream. At that time, most parents who were, you know, grew up in a Western society would have said, oh, I want to spend time with my young children, so I'm going to retire or take a sabbatical to spend time with my children. And it occurred to me that what if we look at from their perspective what they see, not what we think we want to do with them. Now imagine your children are young, they go to school and you're retired because you've made money. So now you're sitting at home, when they go to school, they see their dad sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. They come back from school, dad says, work hard, hard work is what it takes. 
and they see the watch, they're sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. What they're seeing in their mind is, I want to be just like my dad, sit on the sofa and watch CNBC, right? And when you tell someone money doesn't matter, they say, dad, you made money. It matters because you're sitting on the sofa. When you tell them not money doesn't matter, you go out and start the second company because not because you want to or you have to, because you believe the entrepreneurs are, you know, born to solve problems. And then you go third and you go crazy and say, I'm going to now go to the moon because that is can be done. And kids say, dad, that's impossible. You can't do that. And you show them it can be done. And then you say, I'm going to do a healthcare company and we really going to get rid of the chronic diseases. Dad, you're crazy. You know, for centuries, there's a problem has been solved. Why do you think you can solve it? Of course, we haven't taught you much yet. So let me show you how we do that now, right? <laughs> now, when you do that, you don't need to tell kids you work hard. You don't focus on money. They see it. And they then, witness you know, it. They witness it, and guess what happens? Their fear of doing something audacious goes away. They say, my dad is no smarter than me. He can do it. I can do it. Right? And that literally is why even to date when my daughter says, dad, you know I can solve this problem. I'm only 25, but god damn it, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? <laughs> I would imagine that that would come from your child in that regard, right? That they've witnessed it from you. How does it feel like it's long ago when you were with your family and you didn't have what you have, obviously, or what your kids have now? I mean, look, you, you literally when you made the, the analogy yeah. of going to the moon, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Moon Express, you could say yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a part of your horizon yeah. line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what tell me about the first dream that you had when you were a boy, when you were yeah. thinking about how you had to keep moving in this regard yeah. that you were. Some would say you were going backwards, maybe socioeconomically, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from an outsider's yeah. perspective because yeah. of what was going yeah. on for your father. And yet mm -hmm. it seems like you were probably building that, that mm -hmm. dream machine inside of you mm -hmm. that hasn't quit since then. But, Lord, what happens very interestingly is it doesn't matter what's happening in your life, what's happening around you. You can't change what happens around you. The only thing you change is how you react to it and what you learn from it, right? As we were moving every 12, 18 months from a village to village, guess what I learned? I learned to be comfortable with the change. And that became the mantra of life. You can throw me in situation. It doesn't faze me because, oh, that's something new I have to deal with. Been there, done that change is becomes part of your life. So change no longer you are afraid of. You're no longer afraid to take on the new world. You no longer, uh, you can, the, one of the things I learned that I was young, you can reinvent yourself every time you move. You don't have to have people who know and say, I remember you as a child and you are this. And <laughs> I know, Naveen. Yeah. <laughs> and that their opinion never changes until you move to a completely different place. You get to reinvent yourself again. Let's talk a little bit about education and your yeah. perspective. I want to get into Viome. We'll find, I want to know about all of yeah. that. I know yeah. you've, got, you've got some pretty big names that are associated with that um, and the impact that I know you want to make. <clears throat> We live in a world now. I, I recently interviewed yeah. students in, in a boarding school in Switzerland and American students yeah. uh, in the eighth and ninth grade. And you know what? Yeah. Of course, their passion is entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that that's that should not be surprising. But what I am curious, based on your experience through change in your life and success, yeah. 
is how do we make sure that we are preparing the next generation to understand the, not only the impact, but the power of change? Because, you know, when I was growing up, yep. to be an entrepreneur, that was just kind of a rarity. I mean, people were, I'm still that generation where you kind of did whatever your parent did or, you, you know, you, that was a, a natural, normal, acceptable path. Taking risk, going from sort of business to business um, was not. And I look, I look at it from someone who's worked in education as a parent. And I think, yeah, are yeah. we making sure that we are setting up the next generation mm-hmm. to succeed as entrepreneurs? Because we need mm-hmm. that innovation. Yeah. Right. And or can we avoid the mistakes of, you know, when I was everybody could have been a major league baseball player. At least that's sure. what you were told. But that's mm-hmm. not true. <laughs> you know? yes. And maybe not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. But how are we doing? What do we need to be sort of setting up? To make sure that these kids who want to be entrepreneurs are identifying that talent within and that that the obsession. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. So let me, education system is currently, is just become obsolete. And this idea of people telling you that education system is broken is actually wrong. Education system was designed for the industrial era, where you were supposed to learn a specific skill and you use that skill for the rest of your life. You could be a machinist, you could be a financial person, you could be an accountant, you can be a lawyer, and you had a job for the rest of your life. What's really happening nowadays is, with exponential technologies, it doesn't matter what skill you learn, that skill becomes obsolete even by the time you graduate. So suddenly, it's not that education system is broken. It's no longer designed for the world that is constantly changing and especially the technologies that are constantly exponentially changing, right? Now, in that world, it's not about learning skill. It's about learning to learn. It's about learning to solve problems, and most problems are multidisciplinary problems, right? So in a sense that you no longer can simply say, like in today's uh, education system, they say, here is a problem. Here are the four possible answers. Select one. If you think there are two right answers, you are wrong. So you're taught there is only one right answer to every problem. And then you go to the real life and people say there are many ways of solving this problem. And you say, what do you mean by that? I was told there is only one right answer. And if now, I, I was right conditioned. Answer, conditioned. That means if I got the right answer, you must have a wrong answer. <laughs> so the point is, and what we learned over time is that the collaboration is not even taught in our education. When I ask you, I'm doing an exam. I say, Rod. What what might be a better way of solving it? And it's called cheating. And when you do the same thing in a real life, people call you a team player. So imagine what we tell people in education and what happens in real life. So real life things are about collaborating, not necessarily you being an expert, but you actually being a team player where you bring your set of knowledge. You listen to other people's knowledge and you combine and integrate and solve a problem that you can do alone or no one else could do alone. And that is not the kind of thinking that are taught in the education system today, right? So to me, is education system need to be reinvented. It needs to be invented around solving problem, and that makes an entrepreneur. What is an entrepreneur? 
entrepreneurs are problem solvers, period. That's it. There is no other. It's not about starting a company. It's not about doing something. It's not coming up with an idea. Every single one of us has at least one idea. It's like a belly button. You can ask anyone. They have an idea about what might be the next biggest thing they need to do, right? Uh, and then there are people who will say, oh, I know how to solve this problem. And these are the people who call them inventors, call them visionaries. These are the talk, talking heads. Everybody knows how to solve a problem. And entrepreneurs are the unique species. They say, I'm going to go out and do it. Right? That's what makes you an entrepreneur. When you solve the problem, not talk about the problem, not come up with a solution. I mean, all the talking heads in TV, these are all solutions. This is what Biden <laughs> should do. <laughs> Monday morning quarterbacking, as they say. So, so let's talk about let's talk about a problem or an area, I guess, that our species has continued over time to try to understand, wrap their arms around, which is healthcare. Um, talk about Viome. I, I know it's been around for a couple of years now. You're you've brought on uh, Paris Hilton. Um, talk a little bit about the status of it, the progress, and what can we look for in the future? Give people a sense oh of of what it is. So I started this company six years ago with a simple belief that time has now come for us to be able to prevent and reverse chronic diseases. I didn't focus on infectious diseases because to me, since the you know invention of antibiotics, the humanity is not suffering as much from infectious diseases, despite us sitting in the midst of this pandemic. This is a once in a hundred year pandemic, right? But if you look at the every single day, People are dying from cancer. People are dying from heart disease. People are dying from diabetes. People are dying from obesity. People are dying from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, depression, anxiety. These are the things that are, people are suffering from. And interesting thing is, we humans don't have to suffer from these diseases because this is not something you wake up in the morning and say, honey, I was out with the boys last night in the club. I think I might have caught diabetes. You don't catch diabetes. It takes 10 years to develop diabetes. You don't wake up and say, honey, I think I got obesity. No, you've been fat for a long time. Don't you worry about it. (laughs) Point is, you don't catch these diseases. They develop. And what if you can understand what is going on in the human body? So we, I started a company based on a technology that actually was designed for the biodefense work at Los Alamos National Lab. What we do is we actually send you a kit at home where you analyze a touch of your stool, few drops of your blood, and a spit of your saliva. And then we can tell you everything that's happening in your body. Say, Rod, your biological age is this. So, for example, I'm 62 years old. My biological age is 52. So I have reduced 10 years of my life. And my hope is when I'm 70, my biological age comes down to 40. Doesn't mean I'm not 70, but I have energy of a 40-year-old. That's what matters. Right? I'm able to run up the stairs like a 40-year-old. I'm able to still kick ass of 29-year-old in the gym. That's what a 40-year-old is. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we tell you your biological age, your immune health, your cellular health, your mitochondrial health, your gut health, and then we tell you, not just go enjoy. We tell you exactly what to do now to improve your score. We say don't eat broccoli because your sulfide score in your gut is too high. It's causing inflammation. And broccoli has a lot of sulfate, so don't eat that right now. It's not good for you. Don't eat spinach, even though you think Popeye told you spinach is healthy for anyone. Popeye was not a scientist. So let me tell you why spinach is not I never trusted right that now. guy. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. I think idea of now telling you that your oxalic acid metabolism is not good, so you shouldn't eat food high in oxalate like spinach. Or 
By the way, you do need a 22 milligram of elderberry every day. You do need berberine every day. You do need amylase every day. And literally, we tell you what foods you should eat and why, what foods you should avoid and why. And then we tell you, these are the supplements you should not take because your vitamin B3 you should not take because your uric acid production is too high. Don't take curcumin because your bile acid is high. But you need these vitamins, minerals, herbs, digestive enzymes, amino acids. And this is what we do, Rod. We literally make the capsules for you with only those ingredients in that dosage if you want. And we ship it to all the probiotics, prebiotics, and you can have that. An amazing thing happened. We did the test. Now we have analyzed over 350,000 people. And we saw that people who follow our food guidance recommendations and supplement recommendations in four months, their score, clinical score for depression came down by 36%. The clinical score measured by GAD7 anxiety score came down by 32%. Diabetes came down by 30%, HbA1c. And their IBS, which is 15% of population that suffered from it, came down by 40%. SSS, IBS, SSS score. And then we showed people that people who have done, now we took 20,000 people who have done multiple tests. And what they told us, they sleep better. They no longer have acne or eczema or skin issues. They have no mood issues. They're no more depressed or have anxiety. They are, in fact, have no digestive things like a stomachache, bloating, gas. All those things are gone. People play, tell us they have more energy than they ever had before. To me, that is a problem worth solving. That is what is you dedicate 10 years of life. And here is a beautiful thing. We started on cancer. And as you know, I lost my dad to cancer. So it was meaningful to me that today we are able to diagnose early stage cancer, stage one cancer with 95% specificity, 90% sensitivity. You spit in a tube and we can tell you if you have any sign of oral cancer or throat cancer. And now we are extending that test. And by the way, we're launching that in a few months now. Anybody can spit and tell if you have a cancer or not. And we're extending that now to pancreatic cancer, bile cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, gynecological cancer, stomach cancers, all the GI cancer, head, neck, shoulder cancers. And we're going to be launching diagnostic tests for IVD, tests for, you know, things like NASH and NFLD. I mean, so that's our diagnosis. And then we're developing vaccines against preventing the diseases from happening in the first place. So, Rod, I can tell you that I'm convinced in a decade the cancer will be a thing of the past from humanity. And I'm really focused. I hope no one else will ever have to die or suffer from a cancer. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. That's incredible on every, on, you know, on so many different levels. What you, the first thing that came to my mind as you were going through yeah. that was, yeah. I wonder what the response is. What is the response from the, I would say the traditional medical community, the <sighs> ivory, the ivory towers out there that, you know, might see yeah. you as a, dare I say, disruptor. And that's, of course, an overused term. Um, but you would you would be considered a disrupting a space that has yes. been built on legacy and protocol. And you're, it sounds to me like you've kind of blown that out of the water and said, all right, let's just cut to the chase here and figure out this in a three dimensional format. Yes. And go to the go to the person who is suffering from it, because what happens is, unfortunately, in the United States, our healthcare system, our medical industrial complex is essentially 
a system where everyone makes money when you are sick and no one makes money when you are healthy. I mean, think about it for a second. Pharmacy makes, pharmacist makes money. Pharma, pharmaceutical companies makes money. Doctor makes money. Hospital makes money. Everyone makes money when you are sick. And when you are healthy, no one makes money. Isn't that unfortunate that no one makes money when you're healthy and no one has incentive to keep you healthy? Right? And the maintenance, and that, the maintenance of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody wants to, and people, you know, in the hospital, in medical industrial complex, chronic diseases means what? A lifetime subscriber. You have a diabetes, now you have a lifetime subscription. You have an autoimmune disease, you have a lifetime subscription of this drugs, right? And our whole belief is what if the food is the medicine that you can use to prevent yourself from getting sick? And the thing is, like go back to what Hippocrates said 2,500 years ago. Let food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. And then what did he say? All diseases begin in the gut. One man's food is another man's poison. So not spinach is not good for everyone. Broccoli is not good for everyone, right? And that's the thing, right? So interesting thing what we did is Anyone can go to Wyom.com. By the way, I can't pronounce the word V, so it's V as in Victor. <laughs> V-I-O-M, you don't ask me why. <laughs> Indians can never pronounce the word V. So it's V as in Victor, I-O-M-E.com. Uh, and you can literally get a kit today and get for yourself what is going on in your body and take advantage of it. And our thought was, if a person who is sick, guess what? When someone is sick, they only have one wish, to be healthy. When someone is healthy, they have millions of wishes of what they want to do with their life. It, it sounds transformational. I I wonder what this would do in the um, really the, the developing world or and or those. If you think about we'll just take even uh, young people here in the United States that are in foster care. They're in situations where they don't have access to good nutrition. Um, the depression, right? They've got just their, their scenario, their, their mm-hmm. ecosystem is less than optimal. One yeah. of the biggest challenges is you can kind of figure out maybe what the crux of it is, but mm-hmm. nobody is there to help, whether it's to eat healthier or from a sleep mm-hmm. perspective, but it feels mm-hmm. like boy, oh boy. And what you're doing could yeah. really supplant those challenges and provide opportunities, yeah. not just to figure out what it is. But yeah. my what goodness, what what to do, right? Am yeah. I am I tracking? Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think even Bill Gates, I think if you read his thing, he said the biggest problem on the malnutrition is going to be around gut microbiome. If you can give the people, it's the cost the same, just knowing not to eat this food, but eat this food, and you can change their gut microbiome, the human health will completely change because we are a walking, talking ecosystem. 39 trillion of these microbes that are symbiotically working with us. When we don't feed them the right thing, they don't take care of us, right? So when you feed them right, they take care of us. When you don't, in some sense, we are an ecosystem. And when the ecosystem is not working properly, as you know what happens to the world. So what do you think, how would a, a village that maybe you grew up in would be impacted if everybody had access uh, to this kind of, of health care? But honestly, that if a world could be where no one is suffering from a chronic disease, that's the world you and I want to create for our children and grandchildren. And I really feel that is in our control. I can't control someone catching a flu, 
but we can control someone not developing a diabetes. <laughs> we can't control someone not getting cold, but we can definitely control that people not ever having to have a heart disease or a Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease or depression or anxiety. Pundits out there during the, the vaccine process for COVID were were struggling with the, the pace at which the vaccine was being, de- the vaccines were being developed. Is there any, um, does it make any sense to say we can almost go too fast in this area? I'm, I'm going to make a wild guess as to what you might yeah. say, but, you know, I think people are, goes back to the change concept, right? Yeah. That people are uncomfortable with change to a large yes. degree. And this is about change in rapid fashion. Absolutely. And I think if you notice the mRNA vaccine, that four letter word that we really got used to now, would not have actually be tested in humans for another decade or two. Nobody wanted mRNA to be injected in their body. Now it is, the, I would say, the largest test done on humanity, billions of people. Guess what? Now, to some extent, getting another mRNA vaccine becomes so much easier for people to accept. And guess what? Now we can very quickly develop vaccine against the chronic diseases, not just for the infectious diseases that would have never been accepted in the uh, in the society. So to me, the COVID, despite us losing six million great souls to the uh, to this pandemic, I would say if you look back in ten years, this would be the inflection point for humanity where we changed for better. We actually made healthcare accessible to more people through telehealth. We will actually learn to actually be able to develop the medicines faster than we have ever done. And hopefully this changes the regulatory system where we are able to find a cure and get in the hands of people sooner than later. And I believe if food is the medicine that would get rid of all of the bureaucracy of the things and in fact get the people the right nutrition in their body so they don't have to be sick anymore. So you don't have to deal with the sickness at all. Let's close with this. Um, Naveen, would you say that Viome is your is your opus and or if it's not, what might be on the horizon you'd be willing to share outside of um, this epic effort at Viome? So I mean, honestly, to me, I, at one point of time, the problems in this world are never going to go away. And as long as I have a breath in my body, I'm going to continue to focus on solving the next problem. So God, you know, if I'm able to solve the problem of these chronic diseases, I'll go focus on agriculture. I'll go focus on education. I'll focus on, uh, you know, clean water. There's so many problems that are pro- the world is not running out of problems. And that means as long as I have breath, I have plenty of problems to solve. And to me, that is my life. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.